Now, our first witness this morning is Butch. Well, when the fight broke out, I got stabbed in the back, and I, I pulled my knife and hit him. That was the first person I ever killed. Butch Crouch was a hell's angel who'd murdered people and then rolled over and became a government witness. He was giving up details of this crime only somebody that was there would have known about. What good's a man? In his right hand, he had an automatic handgun and blood over his chest. What exactly happened here? Two people were murdered. A house was set on fire. Because of Crouch, I've been hiding in the witness protection program for most of my life. But I'm done hiding. From C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, welcome to Relative Unknown, a new podcast about the stories and family we can't escape. Download Relative Unknown for free now on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. This phone message may be one of the best I've ever received. Well, Mr. Jenks, you will be surprised at who is calling you. I woke up and turned over and I saw this podcast pop on my phone before I got up and I'm like, hmm, a podcast about my dad. Let me see what this is about. Let me see who's claiming they know what really happened. My name is Miriam Ali. I'm the oldest daughter of Muhammad Ali. Um, I, I, I was cringing a little bit when I when I listened to the podcast because I've heard so many people think they know what my dad is made of and who he is. But, you know, you seem to try to do reporting and come up with a theory about that Um that uh, attempted suicide by the man named Joseph. But anywho, um, I want to give you a call because I do know what really happened. As you know, we have a toll-free number you can dial into, give feedback or tips in reaction to any of our What Really Happened episodes. And a few months back, when I heard that message, I was speechless. Miriam Ali was reacting to the first episode we ever did on this podcast— titled The Talk. I recommend checking it out if you have some time, since it'll only add more context to my interview with her. Here's a quick reminder of what the episode was all about. First, I had been working on this story for years. It took place on January 19th, 1981 in Los Angeles. A man named Joseph didn't want to live anymore. He was threatening to jump off the ninth floor of an office building. For a couple of hours, multiple people tried to talk Joseph down. A priest, a psychiatrist, and the LAPD. But no luck. As the minutes turned into hours, about 200 people gathered and looked up, waiting to see what would happen. And then, like Superman, Muhammad Ali showed up. Wearing a pristine suit, the LAPD allowed him up the nine floors. Could Ali talk the man down? Within 30 minutes, Joseph came walking down the stairs with Muhammad Ali. And well, think about it. Ali had a way with words, certainly. And for Joseph, can you imagine? On the verge of killing yourself and then the world's greatest suddenly appears and makes you think twice? They walked down the nine floors together and then got in Ali's Rolls Royce, drove off to the police station and eventually a psych ward. So I'd wanted to make a short film about this for years, but nobody was interested. But as the years went by and I dug deeper, some parts of the story didn't seem to add up. For instance, I had called the LAPD asking if they had any official reports from that day. I wanted to find any details that could help color in the story. 
They said sure, they'd call me back in a couple of days. When they did, something interesting happened. They said the report wasn't in their files. It was missing. Okay, they lost it, I thought. It happens. This is from, what, nearly 30 years ago. Then I looked again at the photo taken from that day. You can find it online by just searching Muhammad Ali talks Joseph down. It's Ali wearing that perfectly tailored suit, talking to this man, Joseph, who frankly looks like he's right out of central casting. By that I mean Joseph has ripped jeans, gloves, a hoodie, and fits the description of your stereotypical homeless man. At least how Hollywood would depict it. But what really got me was this office on the ninth floor Joseph was attempting to jump off of, there was no wall. To make a long story short, you could perfectly see Ali and Joseph. It almost looked like it was from a Hollywood set, almost like it was perfect for somebody to capture a photo. And that's what happened. There was an amazing photo taken. So I reached out to the man who took the photo. He said he had always thought it was awfully fortuitous that this was where they were standing, this perfect location with no wall and for him, the photographer, to get that perfect photograph. All right, well, now that had me thinking. Then I read that Ali's friend happened to be in the crowd amongst those 200 people and had called Ali to let Ali know what was happening. And Ali got there in a matter of minutes. So Ali just happens to be in LA when this happened? All right, fine. But he just happened to not only be in Los Angeles, but a few minutes away? Muhammad Ali got there in four minutes. You can't get anywhere in LA in four minutes. Also, Ali was in a tough time in his career. People didn't think he should box anymore. They also questioned how well he could speak, given he was starting to slur his words. Is there any better way to prove to people that you're doing just fine than talking a guy off the ledge? Last, and then I'll play this interview, it all happened the day before the presidential inauguration of Ronald Reagan. Reagan had prevented Ali from making a big return to fight in California only a few years earlier when Reagan had been governor. Was Ali hoping this heroic action would break into the press coverage celebrating the new president? If so, it kind of worked, as Walter Cronkite reported on the story the next day. Former heavyweight champions slip out of the news as easily as ex-presidents, but Muhammad Ali was never your garden variety champion of all the world. Yesterday in Los Angeles, he responded like a superhero when a distraught man threatened suicide. With all of these moving parts, was there any chance this was staged? Is there a chance Joseph and Muhammad Ali had some sort of deal? What really happened? Over a year later, I got that voicemail from Miriam. I do know what really happened. She was going to tell me. And this is our conversation from just last week when she came to the studio. So Miriam is here. She told me, you know what? As you you just heard, she told me, you know what? I know what really happened. It was like the drama has been building. And I said, I don't want to know yet. I want to meet you. And and if you're kind enough to come into the studio, please tell me. And and I really do appreciate you you coming in. I know you're incredibly busy. And so it does mean a lot. and I, let's let's build to you telling us <laughs> what really happened first. Uh, I want to get a sense of your father 
And I think my first question is, what do you think is the most misunderstood component of your dad? Because he's just this, you know. I would say that because he boasted and bragged and promoted and marketed um, and was so good at it, such a showman, that was really, it was him, but it wasn't him. It was really a persona. It was really to get people to come to the fights, to hype. It was a marketing ploy, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And he learned it from a wrestler, Gorgeous George, who said, I'm pretty, I'm bad. He totally bit Gorgeous George, the wrestler. White guy with blonde, big locks, if you look him up. And he took his whole thing. And I think what's really misunderstood is the sincerity of his love for people. I don't think people know how sincere and magnificent that is for him. And as his children, you know, kids are the first ones to criticize and to call you out. And that's an aspect to him that we're in awe about. No, like seriously, he has nine kids and we're all in awe with that. Mm. Um, And it's very sincere. So people mix up some people who are critical, hint, hint. um, They mix up that grandiose, you know, propaganda person with the humanitarian and they're really separate people. And and people that know him know that they're separate. You have to really, really know him. But people who really don't, haven't really studied him, you know, Ali connoisseurs, they kind of know because they've heard all different kind of stories about him. And his kids definitely know, his family. But that would be the most misunderstood. And he's like extremely spiritual, like extremely spiritual, you know, like to the bone. Mm. Not that he was a perfect person, but... His purpose in life, his his main purpose was serving other people. It's on his tombstone. He were, he would sign his autograph and say, um, "Service to others is the rent you pay for your room in heaven." And he really believed that, and that's on his it's engraved on his stone. So I w- I would think that would be. So when I heard you, I was like, "Ah, oh, he don't know what he's talking about." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, so that yeah, and that that's really dear dear to you know our hearts as his children. We really admire that about our father. Is there an anecdote or a story that you'll always remember that speaks to him as oh. a father? As a father? Or, or you were nodding your head before I no, said no, father. I, no, no, no. I have one. But yeah. um, as a father, I would be, it would be, um, a, you know, this might seem kind of strange. Mm-mm. But as a dad, what, what, what my father impressed upon me more than anything is develop your soul because that's what's going to like, that's going to make you okay. You know, you are not better than anyone because you're Ali's daughter. Don't even think it. Don't even for a minute. And, and he knew we had a privilege of being his kid. Yeah, I mean, his, his child, I mean, his, um, his it's early. Gotta get coffee. <laughs> we knew we, he, he knew we would be privileged of him being our father. Um, but he, he always reiterated that. And and work on your soul, work on your spirit. Material, superficial is nothing. It's a delusion. You know, he would always say, these celebrities, you know, they can't handle being stars. Your father could handle it. I didn't get strung out. I didn't get, I didn't ego out. I treated, you know, my staff right. But these these celebrities, they can't handle it. And I, and, and you know, I, I never understood that really until I got older and I can see so many celebrities just succumbing to 
just the pressure of being a celebrity, you know, the the, the pills and the, the just the stress of paparazzi and um, and my father and I said to me, man, my dad was right. Um, but it would be as a father, it would definitely be just work on work on that spirit because it's, it's moving forward when you die. So work on that. Mm-hmm. And 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 I never. That's what we talked about most of the time. Like that was our conversation. Like, you know, a visit didn't go by where we didn't talk about spirituality and your 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 inner soul. Mm. And that was important to him, like majorly important. I mean, when he's fought Sonny Liston, he's praying in the ring. I mean, if, if you go back, he's very consistent with that. You know, praying in the praying ring. Praying in the ring. So back when he was in the Nation of Islam, it was very demonized um, as the black Muslims are radical and blah blah blah. And he didn't care. And, and before the listen fight, he cuffed his hands up like Muslims do in prayer and said his prayers. And so from the very beginning, he established my spirituality is more important than what you guys think. And that was very important. Even the whole Vietnam uh, case, uh, Clay versus uh, you, the government, United States government, it was about his faith. So if you look, if you look back at the history outside of the ring, it, that was really like prominent in his life. And, it, and for his children, he knew if we were going to make it and if we were going to over, overcome the craziness and the chaos of the world, that we have to be in tune with ourselves. And Miriam, how do, how do you trust people? I, I've, I've been grateful to know people who I love dearly that are well-known or they have a family member that's well-known how do you go about trusting people that care about Miriam versus care about your last name? Believe it or not, I've had not one problem with that ever mm. because I'm a master of discernment. I just am. I'm good at I'm good at people. I can walk into a room, scan it, and I'm pretty much right about who I'm looking at. So people can't really get over on me. So I haven't had, personally, I haven't had a problem being um, taken advantage of. Because I just, and you know, my friends are regular. You know, I don't hang around a superficial crowd. I don't, you know, I may have a couple active friends, um, but everyone else is nine to fivers. I went to public schools. I work in gang prevention work in South LA and high crime areas. I'm just cliche, real down to earth. So I don't deal with kind of the superficial zone. You know, a lot of celebrity kids deal with celebrity kids. They're in the mix. I just never been in that mix. You know, so I think that's why I had, haven't had a problem. So when those kind of folks come around, I can like smell them a mile away. I'm like, just about face. Okay, bye. You know, it just doesn't really phase me. So I haven't had that problem. And I, and I embrace who my father is and I embrace the love people have for him. Um, and I, and I, I say I'm not in the shadow and I'm, I'm in a great shade. So I just have a very healthy um, perspective on my dad and, and you know, I've had, a, you know, my grandparents and parents, I've been very fortunate. If I've had any privilege at all, it would be very strong, smart, wise, grounded parents and grandparents. And everybody doesn't have that. Mm. And they really taught me a lot. So I kind of live kind of, I'm like a flower child. I'm just free, do my thing. That's why I'm here. You're clearly a poet. <laughs> I mean, you're a poet. You are, right? I mean, it's that's that's clear. All right. Let's get to what really okay, happened. Okay, what really happened. <laughs> so... <laughs> so you said you know what what really happened and I will I'll I'll tee this up with your father somehow gets there in 4 minutes cuz he lived close nearby his f- buddy happens to be a photographer who's in the crowd 
and um, I'm forgetting his name now. Harming him. Uh, so he's there, gives him a call. Mm-hmm. Um, so first happens? of all, so I, I, I wanted to re- listen to that program before coming here because I had points and stuff. I love and then it. I, then I lost the paper and I said, well, he'll, <laughs> he'll remind me what he said. Well, first of all, I don't want to, I don't want to, we can put it in. Well, first I'll go of all, it, my dad I, lived very close. He lived in the Wilshire district right down the street. He lived nearby. Number one. Number two, my father always wore suits. So you said, well, how does he have a suit on? I can, if I had a, I have a, I'm like the family historian, have a chess of pictures and he's either in all black or a suit. Wow. That's just, he's old school. So if he went to any kind of meeting of any kind, suit. If he went to the airport, suit. That was his uniform. So it was either all black or a suit. So he said, well, how did he, he just happened to have. Secondly, that's just not his thing. His thing wasn't. What's not his thing? Sorry. Um, He would promote a fight and make fibs about something like that. But when it came to humanity mm. and suffering and suicide, I've never once seen him try to promote that. Matter of fact, he's done some things that we found out he did that he never told. Because in our faith, if you tell what charity you do, it's null and void. And he would teach us that. He's bought homes for people. He, I mean, probably people got more out of him than I've gotten out of him. He's, got, he's bought us college scholarships for people. One time he was in Chicago and he got pickpocketed for $5,000. And his manager was like, Ali, I told you, you know, don't put that kind of money in your pocket. See, you got pickpocketed. His manager is going on and on. And I even say, yeah, daddy, you, you don't listen. You know, I'm ch- chiming in, getting on him. And he goes, look, some well, we were in we were in the ghetto. That's what they called it back in the seventies. We were in the ghetto. Somebody got five thousand dollars. They paid the rent for a year. I don't care. I helped somebody. That was just the way he was. But he wasn't the kind of person at the time he had Parkinson's. He was struggling with PD. And that was a big thing that I had brought up. Right. And and likely. And let sounds- me just say this: he didn't like being in the public back then. He did. He didn't want the attention because he was struggling. I give. Parkinson's, I'm actually here for the Parkinson Unity Walk in Central Park. I come here every year for that. And I give presentations on it. And in the early phases of it, he was really embarrassed by the tremors. He didn't know anybody with Parkinson's. They didn't even know really what it was. They said it wouldn't progress, but it was progressing. So he was in a lot of doubt and fear at that time. And it was just an unknown time for him. And he really didn't want to go out that much. So... He, I, he, he's just not the kind of person that'll say, "Hey, I need attention. I miss being, I miss being in the front." Hey, I'm gonna do this to, you know, take attention away from Ronald Reagan, which was really crazy because he wasn't <laughs> political at all and cares nothing about that, like at all. Um, but he is excited about saving someone's life. So he, I, we've never once, and, and I'm close to my dad, have seen him try to promote anything dealing with helping somebody. Not once ever, ever. So it's just not his, it's just not his character. So, but I have seen him get very excited about how can I use my platform, my name to save somebody? How, what, what can I do? You know, anything. I mean, we're Muslim, right? Practicing Muslim. And I've been at mosques around the country and they'll go, oh, your father built this mosque. I'm like, what? Wow. Because in our faith, if you build a mosque, you you can guarantee paradise. So he built a mosque in Houston. He built one in Chicago. This one guy, 
just Instagram me from, I think, Germany, somewhere overseas saying me and your, my, our parents built a mosque together. But he never told anybody. And as much as he loved Islam and talked about, I'm a Muslim, this is my faith. He never said, hey, I've built all these mosques. So I can like make a book of all the things he's done. My sister's actually coming out with a book. And that the story is in there about, but no, he just this really, story yeah, is the in story there. is in there, but it's oh, not cool. in detail. Right. Um, but Howard Bingham, if you, if you, Howard Bingham was a friend, Howard Bingham knew my dad before I knew my dad, before I was born. And Howard loved- And just so I can give context, he was there uh, in the crowd and had told your dad this was going on. Right. Yeah. My, my sister said my father was in the car. I think he called your dad. But, I, I don't, but I don't let know. me just say this. They were partners in crime, not in crime, but partners in, in, I got in, you. in yeah, charity yeah, yeah. work. I didn't think you meant that literally. Howard knew, <laughs> Howard, knew how, Howard knew how much my father loved to help people. Now, if he was really in the crowd, I, I can see him calling daddy saying, hey, they're having a hard time getting this guy down. But initially, they didn't want my father to come up, but they had tapped out. They could not get the guy off the ledge. And I, I believe my father actually told him, do you want to go to school? What can I do for you? You're right. And um, he actually went to, the guy told him that I'm nobody. I, I, I think he even said his parents said, I'm nothing, I'm no good. And my father actually went to the station with him because he wanted to follow through. That's how he was. He just wanted to make sure, is this guy going to do this again? I actually found an article that that same guy years later went to a police station. I think they, they didn't know if it was the same guy, but he potentially went to a police station and kind of a mental breakdown. You're right. And tried to kill him, you know, get shot down. But he, he was severely mentally ill. And even, you know, my, I think my dad told him, I think my father said something to my sister about, he said to him, if you commit suicide, you're just going to go to hell. If you commit suicide, you go straight to hell like that, you know, because my father's spiritual. So I just never once have seen him promote or lie about something like that. I've seen him hype up, you know, like a fight or an event. But when it came to people, just not never once, ever, never. So I just, you know, every all the little points you had were just, that was you just kind of putting dots together and trying to connect dots that really weren't there. Because yeah. I'm like, he doesn't know my dad. Right. You know? That's what made me call. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't want this getting out because this is not who he is. Not that yeah. it matters, but I just thought it was funny. I said, I, I said I'm going to shock this guy and call. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's just, that was his nature. You know, he, and you know, also when my father promoted, like when I was, I'm the oldest, I'm 50. So I remember. You're 50, you yeah. look like you're 40, girl. Yeah, black Damn. don't crack. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> So anyway, um, uh, yeah, so when I was little, I remember him hyping things up and I'm going to do this and Joe Frazier. And, you know, I was little and I kind of remember some of those fights because I'm the oldest. and I was there for some of the big fights. And he was very vocal when he would do something. I'm going to do this. And he was a practical joker, too. He had a real funny side. Yes. So he's kind of a father that will wait in a dark hallway in his house. And wait for us for an hour so we could cut the corner. So, he, you know, he was very verbal when he was setting something up. And it, we just never heard him set anything up that had to do with helping people. Just never, ever. That would have been like anti-Islamic. It would just be horrible. He, it would be horrible if he did that. So I was preparing for a big date. This was going to be the one. Seriously, I was amped. 
I had this idea. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how, but I had this idea of cooking for her for this date and it actually worked out. So the, the question, obviously, for those that, that know me pretty well here is how did I pull that off? And so this story actually takes us back a few weeks and I'm always quite busy making this podcast, working on it, as you all know. And so I began using HelloFresh. Uh, that way I could spend more time actually enjoying a, a good dinner without having to, well, you know, do any actual work. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can cook, eat, and enjoy. And this is really the thing for me. All meals come together in 30 minutes max. You don't need anything more than two pots and pans, and there really isn't much cleanup, which again, for the third time, I'll say, as you know, for me, that's kind of a big deal. I've been healthier, right, Chris? Chris, the producer, I look healthier, don't I? 100%. 100%. And I have more time to focus on my work, which is very important to me, right, Chris, the producer? 100%. So I was even at a, like, uh, not a baby shower, but something like that, a friend showing off the baby, yada, yada, yada. And I told all of my friends about this. You can get seasonal, simple recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered that come to your place every week. And I have to say, my favorite meal was sweet as honey chicken with green beans over jasmine rice. And so what does this all lead to? It leads to the most important part here. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash what really happened 80 and enter what really happened 80. So again, it's $80 off your first month of HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com slash what really happened 80 and entering what really happened 80. That's HelloFresh, H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H dot com slash what really happened 80. It almost feels like when I was studying his 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 life, or it almost feels like he, every day he lived the life of someone that would normally – every day sounded like a lifetime almost. Yeah. Uh, did he ever talk to you about that, about what happened that day? You know what? I remember when it happened. I remember Howard Bingham. I, I used to visit. What summer was that? Was that 84? Uh, 80, uh, I want to say 81? it was 81. Okay. January So I 81. started coming out to California a lot, 84, 85. And I remember Howard mentioning it to me. Um, but it was just kind of like a one-off. It wasn't, like I said, he, he even even doing it, for humanitarian reasons, he wasn't bragging about it. We heard about it, but if you think about it, it was news and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't doing press conferences and, you know, if you really want to hype something up, you hype it up. He's Muhammad Ali and a man was on the ledge and there was news in L.A. Just like when celebrities, you know, when I live in L.A. and celebrities help people on the side of the road, it's news. You know, so-and-so saved someone. I've heard that many, many times. And it happens where life intersects celebrity and then it happens. But like I said, my father's helped so many people in so many ways. It was just his thing. It was always his thing. It wasn't like a one-off. He always was doing something. Matter of fact, he would let people, he lived in this huge mansion called Fremont Place. This is off of Wilshire. And I would visit. I didn't grow up there. And, uh, he would just let anybody in the house, just anybody. I'm like, Dad, you know, one of these days, you're going to let somebody in who's going to 
hurt your kids. You know, you, you're a little bit too open. You know, well, people love me and I feed people. And, I, you know, I've seen him take homeless families, put them in his Rolls Royce, bring them to the house. He they could have killed the whole family. He doesn't know. He would do stuff like that. And he never called the press. Hey, I got a homeless family. And I shipped him to never said anything. And I said, one of these days, you know, you better be careful because some people might obsess over your kids. And I'm about 14, 15 telling him this. First year of college, I'm at USC, and this creepy guy is downstairs in my lobby who used to always be at my dad's house. And at this time, my father had moved away to Michigan, and I'm left in L.A. Long story short, this guy used to always come up at his dad's house, get money, eat. My father would help him out. Dreadlocks, real crazy looking. He stalked me for seven years. I bought a gun, a 38. I had to threaten him. I threatened to kill him if he tried to find me. No, I went crazy on him. And I told my dad, I told you, one of these days, you, we, you, your kindness is going to affect us. But that's how generous and kind he was. And um, I really had a problem with this guy. He ended up going to prison for some crazy pedophilia or some crazy stuff. And then he got out of jail. And it was years had passed, and he tried to try to start up again. And actually took him outside and said, "Look, I know you're a probation officer. We're not going through this again." And then he kind of left me alone. Right. But I really dealt with this for a long time, and because of my dad's generosity, trying to help folks all the time. So I first want to say I hope you don't think that we at all disparaged him. It'll, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, we no, tried no. to make it clear throughout. Yeah, with and towards the end, you kind of said, well, maybe this, maybe it was real. No, I understand. I just wanted to like, re, re, uh, and it was, it was incredible. And I really sincerely mean this, you know, going through his career, talking to biographers about, and that's what I sort of meant by every day felt like someone else's lifetime because you'd hear these things. Yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, you know why? Because he was an open door. If he was I private, see. I see. it would be quiet days, That's quiet nights. He was open door. Like for, I remember when the Olympics were, were was in LA. It was in the eighties. Every all the all the Olympic athletes knew that you can go to Muhammad Ali's house and just get in. So that year, swim swimmers, uh, basketball players. I mean, we it was kind of exciting for us. Because the Olympic athletes would just come to the house and come in. And I collected about 200 Olympic Olympic pins. I still have them. I should sell them. And they would, <laughs> they would come in and just give us pins. And we met all these athletes from the Olympics when it was in L.A. Because everyone knew, if you go to Muhammad Ali's house, he'll open the door. And that's what happened. He just So it was like an adventure. One time I was upstairs visiting during the summer. My dad's a practical joker, right? Yeah. This is funny. And he goes, May May. When you come downstairs, make sure you put your clothes on because Clint Eastwood's downstairs. So I'm like, yeah, right. Clint Eastwood is downstairs, whatever. I come downstairs with my hair everywhere and pajamas. There's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. I run upstairs and I hear my father laugh and say, she didn't believe me. She didn't believe me, Clint. She didn't believe me. You were here. It was just, you know, that, that was what he did, you know. Um, but you know, he's, his life was just, he he just loved, he loved people. And I, you know, it was amazing that he didn't get tired of people. It just don't be in New York, forget about it. Crowds and crowds. And, um, I had one little taste of celebrity and it, and it was, it was, I did a reality show called 60 days in where I went to jail undercover 
And uh, it was their highest rated show in 2016. And everyone was walking up to me and I'm like, oh, this is weird. You know what I'm saying? And you couldn't sneeze on somebody saying, I saw you. And I'm like, my dad dealt, I got a snippet of what he dealt with. And I'm like, I, I like the private life, you know, where I could walk around and do what I need to do. Mm. That celebrity is hard, you know? And it sounds like from from what you said that he wouldn't have told you or, or anyone that whether or not he stayed in contact with Joseph, the the, the no, guy. He, no, he didn't. He he probably he probably called once or twice. But you know, my my dad was struggling with Parkinson's, and you know, most of the time when he did help people, he didn't stay in long term contact with them. I, okay. I I can't say that. I mean, he's how who can do that? Right. I was going to say hundreds, all, hundreds, and thousands of yeah. people that he's getting in contact. Yeah. With. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. almost like now celebrity responding to everybody's DMs. Right. You know, who can do that? You know, <laughs> he he was Instagram automatically. Everyone was at him. He was letting there. Who's letting everybody in? You know what I'm saying? So yes, he helped you. But one thing he did do when he met you, he looked you dead in your eye. And he dealt with you. He wasn't one of those kind of people that was looking all around in like the this. moment. No, in the moment. He's talking. He he made everybody feel special. Like, how you doing, man? He let me tell you what he would do. This was so funny. People would say, Muhammad, remember I met you back in 1967 and we were at the tennis courts in the hood and you were jogging by. Remember? And he was so, he didn't want to make people feel bad that he didn't remember. He said, yeah, out on the t-shirt and blue jeans. And the first time he said that, I said, man, dad, remember what he was wearing? <laughs> Six months later. Hey, Chad, remember I met you in the airport? Remember? Yeah, out of t-shirt and blue jeans. <laughs> that was his stock answer. Because I was like, dad, why are you? He goes, I don't want to make them feel bad. They'll feel bad if I don't remember them. He, but he just, he hated for people to feel bad. This will make you tear up. When he had Parkinson's, when he couldn't write well, he never turned people down for an autograph, never. So when he couldn't write fast enough, he's like, I can't write fast enough. I, I won't be able to do what I used to do. I have to figure something out. So he would pre-sign his picture. And then he started pre-signing Islamic literature. If you go online and look up Islamic literature, Muhammad Ali autograph, you'll see all these Muslim pamphlets with his signature. Those are signatures that he wanted to hand out. So he said, well, I can spread Islam. But at the same time, the main reason he did it initially was, I don't want to say no and have people not get what they want from me. I want to be able to give them, they, they've given me so much in my career. So he would literally walk around with a bag almost that size, That's right. I remember, a yeah. big briefcase, and there was thousands of his signatures pre-signed. That's how much he loved people. And I'm going, wow. But I do that. You know, if I'm rushing for a plane, I'm just rushing for a plane. But my father always, the little person, the small average guy, you know, it was important. And he did not want to, he did not. I saw him cuss out celebrities. I won't name any names. We're at a Mike Tyson fight. And this celebrity said no to an autograph to a kid. My father let him have it in front of everybody. It was so embarrassing. My father's like, who the hell you think you are? If that kid didn't go to see, watch your TV shows, you wouldn't be nothing. You don't turn the little boy down. And he just went off. And I was like, oh, crap. This is crazy, right? I'm thinking, what's going to happen? And I've seen him do that twice to two different celebrities. And they lowered their heads. Sorry, champ. You're right. Sorry. Right. I'm not going to say who these two people were, right. but one of the per one of them came to me and said, I remember your, 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 your dad ripped another hole in my butt for turning down the autograph. I'll never do that in front of your father again, you know, but yeah, he just didn't. I just, I just want to give you the love 
he had for just any just anybody. What do you think made him like that? Um, I would say a number of things. One is just his natural loving characteristic, because his mom was loving. His his mother, we called her Mama Bird, never spoke ill of anybody. Everything was positive. She never he she never said anything bad about anyone. My father's been divorced four times, and the mothers may have talked about him, but in front of his kids, he never talked bad of the moms, and he could have. So he was just like that as a person. Number two, he said he remembered a boxer, and I won't name a name because I want to honor them, turned him down for autograph, and he was devastated. He looked up to this boxer, and he said, I'll never do that. He felt so hurt. He felt so much pain. He was a nobody. He had no money, and he was just trying to— perfect his craft and he waited a long time for this guy to come out of the building and the guy said get away from me kid and my father was just devastated and he said he'll never want to make anyone feel like that ever that's why he says he's never turns down autographs but he was just a loving person and he just you know how you have people who are extroverts and they just don't like being alone they mm. just love the energy of people mm. he just loved people mm. And if he was really tired, he'll stay home. But he didn't mind people knowing who he was. He saw it as they love me, I love them back. I'm not going to turn them down when they love me. And when my friends are around me, when people are always walking up to me about my dad, I never get upset. And I, and I learned that from him. Mm. I just don't get upset. And my friend's like, don't you get tired of people always mentioning your father? Even if people introduce me as Muhammad Ali's daughter, I don't care. I don't go, my name is Miriam. I, I don't care because mm. what he meant to them is why they do it. Mm. It's not because they're disrespecting me. I just don't see it like that. Miriam, thank you so much for your time. So is to break it down, there, he did save that man sincerely. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's the first time we've got what really happened what down. Really happened? Our first episode has been figured out by none other than the and, daughter of Muhammad I, Ali, Maryam Ali. You guys, if you hear about a story that they're wrong about or right about, you call in and let's get this record straight. Love it. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank, Thank you. you. So the proudest really thing in my career has been this nonprofit I started called the All-American High School Film Festival. Uh, it's the biggest film festival for high school students in the world. And we've given over about $2 million in scholarships. Thousands of students from all over the world have submitted their short films, 40 countries, all 50 states. I mean, what really is exceptional is the students are all humble, uh, incredibly talented. You wouldn't even know that they're high school films. Uh, we have a, a college fair, a tech fair, a huge red carpet on our final night, which takes place in October, and we show some of the top films in New York City in Times Square, and the nonprofit has been growing big time, hiring new people, really expanding, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And with their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experiences and invites them to apply to your job. And right now, my listeners can try 
ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash WRH, as in what really happened. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WRH, ZipRecruiter.com slash WRH, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So Mother's Day is coming up and there's, I, I, I would think, right, absolutely nothing most of us wouldn't do to make sure our moms uh, feel particularly happy that day. And as you all know, I'm quite the mama's boy. Um, I love my mom to no end. She's always been there for me. She was there for me when I was a little kid and refused to go to preschool because I didn't want to leave her. So I would cry and cry and just make sure that I, I would never part ways. I'm t- like, when I say mama's boy, I mean mama's boy. Um, and then there's been some tough parts where depression has gotten the best of me. Maybe that's not the best way to put it, but she would travel right into New York City and, and be with me on the couch. Or, um, so everything from from the fun times to some of the, the harder times. And so with that, where, where things got a little personal there, I want to introduce you to Sherry's Berries. <laughs> but I'm serious. This is what I'm going to do for my mom. I'm going to get her some Sherry's Berries. Sherry's Berries has some special Mother's Day berries designed just for mom that are topped with chocolate chips, mm, pink shimmer sugar, and swizzles. Uh, the chocolate chip ones were my favorite. I kind of got a little test tasting. Uh, you choose your delivery date to ensure mom gets your gift of Sherry's Berries exactly when you want to get it to her. Don't wait until the last minute on this one, as I've done in years past. Visit berries.com today to order freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 for the mom in your life or moms. To make mom really happy, you can double the berries for just 10 bucks more. Mother's Day is Sunday, May 12th. So visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone in the upper right corner corner and enter my code WRH. That's berries.com. Click the microphone code WRH. Happy Mother's Day. While Miriam couldn't speak to some of the parts out of her control, like why did the LAPD no longer have the police file, I can take some basic educated guesses. Maybe they just lost it. Maybe, and this would be kind of funny, an officer thought it was a day he'd never forget and after a few years decided to, you know, take it home with him as a souvenir. I'd understand that. Also, Joseph was saying he was a Vietnam vet, but he actually wasn't. Well, Joseph said a lot of things, and he was technically in the military. But this is where you realize, or at least I realize, when you start to lean into a conspiracy theory. Because everything else is now explained. If I was still holding on to this happening and it being some sort of staged event that Ali and Joseph had agreed upon, I'd say I'm a conspiracy theorist. Instead, I'd say my potential theory was wrong. In fact, I'd say I was wrong. Miriam clearly pointed out all of the reasons that what happened that day in LA was quite simple. Ali talked Joseph down from that ledge. That was Ali doing what he did best. Be the greatest. And it goes to show that with all of the people listening to our show, we can get to the bottom of what really happened. I want to thank Miriam for not just taking part, but listening to the episode, calling in, and even coming to the studio. 
what a kind, thoughtful, and just amazing person and soul. She's currently a social worker and does many other charity events. That's actually why she was in New York City and could stop by the studio. So clearly, she doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk, which uh, likely reminds you of someone. And so next up, uh, it's a quick portion of the show. Uh, in the last few months, I got a tweet, and I, I try to check and, and respond to every message or tweet. And it was from this guy named Nick. He said he was coming to New York City from Ireland. He asked if I had any suggestions for places to grab a drink or a bite. And I said, you know what, Nick? Or I guess I tweeted back. I said, you know what, Nick? We can do better than that. Come by the studio, and we'll do a quick, fairly random interview. If there's one thing I've learned from The Rock while producing the show, it's really to never forget the people who give me this opportunity to make this podcast in the first place. So cheers, Nick. Here's our brief chat. All right, man. So we're here with Nick. Nick Quinn, right? Very good. Nick Quinn, yeah. Nick Quinn, who a What Really Happened fan from Ireland just flew in, hit us up on Twitter, hit me up on Twitter, and I said, well, you you should just come by the studio. I yeah. mean, if you're going to be in New York City. That was it. So, um, are podcasts popular in Ireland? Yeah, they would be. Now, you said that you had a podcast for two years. Yeah, I did. I actually um, I had a podcast called Canvas Theory. Um, I'm, a, I'm a wrestling fan. Okay. So, um, and um, that's how I kind of came across you guys as well. Right. When you first started. Because I think I heard you had an ad on... Uh, I think it was Edge and Christian's podcast for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's how I came across you, uh, what really happened. And I was like, that sounds interesting. But yeah, I did a podcast for two years. That's good to know. Not Sorry to cut you off, but that's good to know because I think the, the, the sort of stats are that a lot of people find out about podcasts that they end up listening to vis-a-vis other podcasts. Yeah. So that sounds like an anecdote that's proof for that. But okay, sorry, go. I cut you yeah. off. I heard about the topics mm-hmm. and I was like, Cool. So I, that's how I kind of checked you guys out. But yeah, huge wrestling fan. So I did that podcast for two years and I stopped it. But I've actually uh, kept the brand alive and I'm turning it into a, a hat brand. Got it. So starting an online store. And is that the hat you have on right no, now? No, this is a company called Onnit. So really, really quick shout out. What's the what's the um, name of the brand? Yeah, Canvas Theory. Canvas Theory. Yeah, like we're not that. live yet. Uh, hopefully, uh, end of this month or de- definitely early May, we're going to hopefully go live. So, any big mysteries going on in Ireland right now? There's one which is really interesting about. There's a couple of hills where the car goes up the hill. A couple of hills in Ireland where the car is on where the car goes up. Got it. Yeah, love that. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I'm, no, in. I, I'm there. There's a there's an Irish Times article. Uh-huh. You want to pull it up there? Yeah. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, just type in. Uh, I, Irish Times hill cars up. Yeah. Up. That's the one I found. So I was only thinking of something that was interesting that wasn't like you know that, that you guys could maybe look into, and that was one that came to my mind. Yeah. Um. I'll keep looking. Uh, favorite favorite what really happened episode uh box office uh anatomy interesting yeah so the reason with that one was i had no idea all those things went into a movie and would make it successful Hmm. yeah i I was surprised by that too i think i think and the way you broke it down the five different points Mm. it was very organized and i really liked that part of it Um, you know and a credit to that goes to actually our intern who said we were talking about it on saturday yeah and he goes it's almost like a Jenga set. Yeah. Like if all these Jenga, and I was like, huh, let's kind of go with that yeah. way of thinking about it. Um, what was the other ones? Uh, I liked the um, the Serena Williams one. Um, 
Oh, I can't remember the name of it now. That's okay. That'd Scandal be, Match. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah You yeah. got it. Um, oh, the one, one I liked that was really different was the Kanye one because you read the letter the whole way through. That oh, was really I'm cool. I'm glad you liked A lot of people didn't like that, I think, because it disrupt. It wasn't the normal. Yeah, but that's why it was good. That's kind of you to say. Yeah, I, st- I would do the same. I would do it yeah. again. Yeah. I mean, that's why I liked it. I was listening yeah. to it and I was trying to figure out when, when are you going to get going on the actual podcast. And I was like <laughs> 30 minutes in, I'm like, all right, this is it. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, um, and how do you listen to your podcasts? Apple. And I'm an Apple. Can I swear in this podcast? Sure. I'm an Apple whore. I think, I, I mean. Am I okay to say that? I think so. We'll find out. You can, um, you can bleep it out. Uh, and then last question we got. Well, you know what? Before we go. So we got you a t-shirt here. Oh, nice. That's amazing. Untold. Unfold the untold. untold. I always get that wrong every time. <laughs> That's Thank for you so you. much. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Copy of my book. Oh, no way. Are you for real? Oh. <gasps> And I, that hair. I don't have the money to give you a car, but I would if I would if I could. <laughs> it's all good. Um, um, one thing I want to say, and uh, not to blow smoke, um, but I think what I found with your podcast is it's been very helpful for me in terms of just general talking to other people about other things, and I think it's made me more interesting because hmm. I'm more knowledgeable about specific things. Okay, great. Things like even just talking about Britney's meltdown. I mean, hmm. and like you know, you know, when I'm trying to explain the podcast, I'm like. And I'm like, oh, you know, they talk about Britney's meltdown. They're like, well, what really happened there? And I'm like, oh, well, the media, you know, you know, that was, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's just a topic and it just makes me sound smarter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, what really happened? The podcast that will make you sound smarter. No, I appreciate it. that, man. And yeah. um, we got listeners like you. So that, it, that makes yeah. it, that makes it work. Um, all right, great. Well, thank you. Have a no great worries. trip in New thank York so City. Appreciate right. it. Yeah, of course. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, I also want to thank the producers of our show, Cadence 13, Seven Bucks Productions, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Andrew Jenks. And don't forget, if you like the show, you can always leave a review on iTunes. Uh, That is, if you like the show. There's been a few people who've said some nasty things recently, so maybe if you could do me a favor and write something nice. Let's do something kind today. All right, all right. Have a good day.